This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. I am Louise Makshari, and the point of this podcast is to try and bring you up to date. If you haven't been paying attention, if you've been really busy, maybe you have kids who are taking up all of your spare time and a job which is not giving you a moment to even take a breath, and you just haven't been able to engage with the world this week, no problem. Maybe you've been feeling really bleak and you just haven't wanted to. That is also no problem. We are here to hopefully make you feel a little bit more up to date ahead of and across the weekend. Um, I hope you're feeling well hope you had a good week if not no worries January can be tough uh I have to say I was feeling pretty bleak the first I was about to say the first couple of weeks but it's only been a couple of weeks it just feels like it's been much longer but the beginning of January I think was was kind of tricky um but now I'm feeling a little bit more positive I mean things are still difficult um I was at the protest in Dublin for Uh, the International Day of Action regarding what's happening in Gaza. And it's a real kind of mishmash of feelings, isn't it? I think if you're someone who's been thinking about this situation since the very beginning, it would be weird if you didn't feel kind of heartbroken and exhausted at this point, because unfortunately not much progress has been made in terms of stopping the killing of Palestinians and the bombing of Gaza and the attacks on Gaza um, in terms of progress for the Israelis getting back the hostages who were taken on October 7th. The only time that progress has been made there is when there was an agreed and brief ceasefire or kind of lowering of the conflict. Um, you would think that, that therefore, you know, a longer ceasefire might actually get them to their apparent goal of getting their hostages returned, but that doesn't seem to be something that they're willing to consider. And yeah, you would feel it is it is hard not to feel depressed 
let's be honest, very hard to be confronted with the reality of what's happening there all the while you're living your kind of normal life. It's a lot to process and it's very difficult, but I did find it really heartening to be out on the streets with thousands and thousands of like-minded people in Dublin on Saturday. And I know that there were events right around the world. So you may well have been at one in, in your own area or country. Um, and I found some of the posters that people made. The, there was a beautiful work of art by Elaine Mears, which I posted to my Instagram. It was a depiction of the woman holding the wrapped body of her child, which is an image that I think is burned into loads and loads of our brains. And it just was so moving. She made a really beautiful piece um, of that image. And it was kind of confronting to see something so beautiful made out of something so heartbreaking. I found it very, very moving. I was talking to her about it on Instagram and she said that she had made it from Irish linen in a nod to the shared textile heritages of Israel and Palestine, which I thought was another beautiful detail. So it's just great to see so many people still willing to get out on the street and say that this isn't good enough. It is, of course, devastating that that doesn't seem to be having the impact that we wish it did. But what else can we do really um, at this point? And we have to just continue to get out and get our voices to be heard. So it is, a, it is a hard time to be a human being on the planet if you are someone who is empathetic and connected to what's going on around the world. But, you know, I think that we are doing our best and we have to continue to do our best in that regard. Otherwise, this week, I didn't do a lot. I went to see Poor Things, um, which, well, I went to see most of Poor Things, about two hours into poor things, I got a message to say that my son's football was at five instead of six. So I had to miss the end. So I'll have to go again. But what I saw, I loved. Oh my God, I loved it. And I'm kind of in a bit of a cinema buzz at the moment. I haven't been out, like out, you know, in a pub or anything since the end of December. So I'm basically a nun now, um, which is cool. I feel <laughs> I feel pure now having been drinking wine at home of course but uh you know I haven't been out in the world in a way that it hasn't been kind of entirely wholesome in a few weeks now am I going to destroy that this weekend yes of course I am I've got two birthday parties to attend but um I've been enjoying this little cinema era and I'm going to try and do more cinema trips over the course of the next year I think it's just sometimes it's hard to prioritize that when you're busy with the kids and work and all the rest but yeah so largely a good week and um as I say I hope you had one too but it's okay if you're struggling because things are hard and it is so cold, which is just not helping. And I believe you will hear me complaining about the cold weather across this podcast, which I apologize for from the outset. Anyway, let's get going. It is time to catch up on all the latest in the news with Carl Kinsla. Carl Kinsla of the journal.ie. Hello. How are you? How is your life? Oh, it's it's going pretty well. It's uh, <laughs> nice to be back in Amsterdam after a Christmas break at home and freezing cold. But like, yeah, everything's all good. I got some uh, very funny messages from people who were very amused by you. I think it was last week when I was saying that like the kids weren't back for a week. You know, we were back at work and then the kids were back to a week later. People were like, how adorable that Carl just genuinely did not know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. And honestly, like my, and my instinct was like, like, I don't know, but I think when it <laughs> and it's it's funny as well because like I still convince myself that I'm like young enough that I'd like that's all sort of it should be like a mystery to me when obviously like I'm I'm 30 years old plenty of my friends have children no, like, you're very young this is something that I should have, no I you're have not a grasp on all of this but... 
you're not in that space yet and you're lucky to not oh. be in that space yet enjoy it while while you can and uh i i we all found it very endearing carl so do not worry. I'm, I'm glad people are like amused by my naivete <laughs> Well, they were. They really were. And I was. Um, Okay, we've got loads of news to talk about this week, as usual. And we will start in Gaza, where unfortunately, the situation is ongoing. I actually like, I'm going to be honest, when I was making the list of stories this week, I, it has gotten to the point where you struggle to feel like it's useful even to talk about it. But you also know that you have to keep talking about it. We can't look away. We can't pretend like it's not happening. But at this point, it feels like nothing is going to change the situation. Yeah, and it, it's actually interesting you should mention that because uh, that that sort of citizen journalist, uh, Bisan Auda, who like a lot of people will have followed yeah. over the last couple of months, she kind of did a broadcast from a hospital in Khan Yunus this week that was being bombed. And she herself, she like directly was like, oh, it's important to me that you keep sharing this, you know, yeah. referring to us in the sort of Western world. Yeah. And I think for as long as that remains the demand from, you know, journalists and activists on the ground in Palestine or just even ordinary Palestinians, um, I think, yeah, it, it just remains essential that people keep talking about it, even yeah. though I fully agree with you, like it feels so futile. Um, you know, some of the stories we were looking at this week, you know, the the Israeli defense minister, Yov Gallant, has said that they're going to enter a de-intensification period, which essentially just means that they're going to be killing slightly fewer people. But also, um, like, pr- presumably because they're done. Like, there's only so much country to bomb. Like, of course, yeah. things will de-intensify because you have pulverized these people and this nation. And it, it also kind of gives the lie to the entire sort of campaign because for so long they've talked about how, oh, this would all end tomorrow if the hostages, the remaining hostages were returned. But here they are, you know, quote unquote, de-intensifying, even though they've made no or very little progress with the hostages. Yeah. So, I mean, it, do, it does suggest that the purpose behind all of this has been sort of, as you say, to like to flatten Gaza, mm. to ethnically cleanse, to remove Palestinians from the area and then for you know, the state of Israel to sort of take over. Um, mm. And, you know, even with all this de-intensification talk, you know, Netanyahu was clear this this week, he's speaking in the Knesset in the Israeli parliament, and he was saying that the fighting is going to continue for months. Mm. Um, they've just approved a new budget of, I think, something like $13 billion worth of military funding to keep up with the cost of the campaign. So, you know, I think, you know, this talk of de-intensification, for me, that could be something to do with traditional media in the West, wanting for something reasonable to latch onto, yeah. you know, and they want to report that there's a de-intensification. So they're latching onto that language from the Israeli, you know, political establishment. But the fact is that, you know, for someone like you or me watching through our phones, it's not going to look like de-intensification. It's just going to look like the same old rubble and bloodshed and, and you know, dead children. And, you know, for, from the outside looking in, it's just the, intro- the atrocity will continue, I think, almost certainly. Yeah. There was a deal, I kind of couldn't make sense of this, a deal made uh, during the week which between Israel and Hamas, which is about basically medical aid getting in for hostages um, in order, and, and that meaning that therefore civilians will also receive aid. I like, I, we're all clutching at straws for any kind of positive news, I suppose. Yeah, and for me, like, you know, unfortunately, this kind of, this, it's not really a positive story. Like, yeah. it, you know, it means that the hostages who are taken on October 7th, yeah, they'll get sort of medicines that they might need, you know, say, for example, if they, they, they could be diabetic, they could be anything like that. So in order for that medicine to get in, 
they've struck a deal whereby aid will get to civilians in Gaza. But for me, all this does is highlight that Israel is acknowledging that it's been preventing aid from getting to civilians in Gaza. Mm. Um, you know, like you have Israel very much making the claim that Hamas takes all this aid, you know, this food aid that comes in, the water that comes in, that Hamas takes it. And, you know, that's why Palestinians aren't able to get to it. But if Israel are able to strike a deal whereby they can assure that the aid gets to these civilians, then we know that Israel has the power to to do that any given day. Mm. And the fact that they're not doing it is, uh, I mean, that is, you know, if, if things were to progress any further at the ICJ and the Hague, you know, that is a war crime to yeah. to deny people sort of to you know to starve people and to mm. to deny them water that is you know it's pretty much as bad as it gets as you say this is a deal being struck you know this is kind of through the Hamas political leadership are based in Qatar so Qatar facilitates all of these sort of deals mm. and I don't know maybe there's a perspective on it where it's like there's more communication happening and maybe this could lead to um, an opportunity for more like detente but yeah. I don't know it doesn't, it doesn't feel positive to me what is happening with the ICJ and in the Hague like what's uh where do things stand at the moment with the South African case against Israel so the latest development is that we've got uh Indonesia and Slovenia have joined the South Africa's application at the ICJ mm. um and I suppose the intent is that what what they want is that uh they want a verdict of genocidal intent uh, to be rendered against Israel. And like, so that's different to like actually having committed the gen- the genocide. You know, they, they just want an acknowledgement that there's intent to commit genocide, um, right. which you know, that's why they relied so heavily on statements by Israeli cabinet ministers and things like that last week. Right. But so that'll be, that'll be deliberated upon. And if it is found that there has been genocidal intent, that's where the sort of complications kick off because there's not a very strong enforcement mechanism. Mm. You know, you can't, you can't haul Israeli leaders from uh, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv in front of the Hague. You, you can't, you know, it's, it's, it's a very complicated process, but mm. it would at least be a sort of, uh, not necessarily a moral victory. I suppose moral victory might be the phrase, but just uh, it's something to... something galvanize the international community you yeah, know yeah um but so that, that's where we are with the icj um lots of uh continued blame at the feet of joe biden um who obviously america is funding a lot of the weapons that israel are able to use in for this continued onslaught and there are calls for the traditional irish saint patrick's day visits to be called off this year yeah and that's kind of been buzzing around for the last couple of months I know Paul Mur- Paul Murphy. Uh, he kind of restated this uh, this sort of demand of of the Irish Taoiseach because obviously, like year on year, the Irish Taoiseach will visit Washington D.C. and hand over the bowl of shamrocks, and it's all a bit of a you know a bit of a boondoggle for for Irish TDs and Irish media. And it is probably good for for diplomacy, but yeah, one would think that at a time of such um, controversy and consternation, and and you know, with the Irish government acknowledging you would hope on some level that the u.s is is behind is providing military you know foundations for all this death and destruction in gaza you would think that there would be some change in the relationship between the irish government and the u.s government that there would be some demands made or some sort of you know overtures made in terms of scaling back the level of support for israel's campaign mm. but uh yeah i think it's, it's very unlikely that that uh leo Varadkar is not going to visit no um, of course he is 
Washington DC. Yeah, there's like you know, it's even Mary Lou McDonald has said that if she were to become Taoiseach, you know, say by 2025, that she doesn't think that boycotting such an event would would lead to uh, you know peace in the Middle East. Which I just think is it's sort of like a reductive way of looking at it. No. Nobody is saying Paul Murphy's not saying that it's going to lead to peace in the Middle East. It's a symbolic symbolic gesture of of sort of condemnation and and pointing out something that you know the people of ireland really don't agree with yeah um, yeah claire daly so. made a very impassioned speech in the european parliament during the week and um, which i will try and put a clip in here i keep forgetting to put in clips i keep saying i'm going to put in a clip and then forgetting to do it so i'm writing it down literally as i say this despite the catastrophic death toll it has inflicted israel is losing on the ground and in the court of public opinion there's no way that this ends that doesn't leave Israel a pariah state with occupation and apartheid on borrowed time, and they know it. So they're doing everything they can. Desperate acts of aggression to provoke a wider conflict with Lebanon, with Iran, with anybody to draw in the US, to save them from the consequences of their own actions. And as Yemen shows, Butcher Biden is reporting for duty. With Europe's proud genocide by his side, they are the ones who have enabled the continuation of Israeli terror. Without them, it would already be over. So take note, Butcher Biden. The ancestors of the Ireland that you claim to be from disown you. Keep our country out of your mouth. And as for von der Leyen and genocidal Germany with your words and deeds supporting Israel in the ICJ, not in our name. The people of Europe stand with Palestine and with South Africa. And, I, you know, there are a lot of people who would agree with her. Yeah, well, we've seen, you know, there was in his sort of ancestral home of Balana in Mayo, um, there was a mural painted for him when he first visited. I think that's been defaced a couple of times um, <laughs> since the the conflict in, in Gaza has sort of escalated. And there was also, I think, quite a widely signed, widely shared petition about sort of revoking Ireland's symbolic uh, support for his 2024 campaign. You know, yeah. obviously, that that sort of it doesn't really mean anything. You know, mm. we don't. I mean, to even assume that we symbolically support his campaign, I think is kind of is kind of strange. But it does it does highlight the level of dissatisfaction I think among Irish people mm. with because I mean, typically, I think you and I both know this. You know, Irish people tend to be very excited about U.S. presidents. We tend yeah. to be very excited when they pay attention to us. I mean, hello, and Barack think, Obama Plaza. Like, yes, one hundred percent. But yeah, I think if you were to poll the Irish people right now and Joe Biden, you'd definitely find a you know a high level of negativity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, speaking of negativity, let's move to Ross Cray, um, where there were well a lot happened this week, didn't it? This has kind of been going on even for more than a week now, and it's 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 hundreds uh, at times of protesters outside Racket Hall Hotel in Ross Cray where international protection applicants are being housed. Mm. Um, that was announced kind of in the last week or two. And, it, you know, a lot of people from Ross Cray mobilized and they're they're protesting against it. There's also been people sort of not necessarily astroturfed in, but, you know, people who are sort of far right um, demonstrators who ten tend to turn up at a lot of these things across the country. They're also there mm. sort of galvanizing the crowd and speaking to the crowd. Mm. Um, Maddie McGrath, the TD, was there and he, he was there and he, he spoke about Ireland being, quote unquote, colonized and Ireland being taken over, you know, presumably referring to international applicants or people from Ukraine. Mm. And, you know, it's a really kind of unpleasant sight because what you've got is all these people, you know, 
chanting and protesting and demonstrating and being loud and being aggressive, getting into scuffles with Gardi as women and children arrive, you know, just to be housed in this former hotel. So like these people arriving, the women and children, they're already in such a, such a lowly state, you know, Vulnerable and like position. for them to be, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's kind of a worrying situation for me because it reminds me somewhat of like back in 2010, 2011, when a lot of people who had, problems with the state sort of coalesced around the water charges and I'm, I'm worried that this is kind of like a far-right version of that almost where you have people in towns that have been underserved people in towns where you know the hotels have closed down the pubs have closed down there's nothing to do there's no services and instead of those people blaming the government or, or engaging with the government they are protesting outside you know places where international applicants as we said women and children are arriving to stay for for sort of safety and shelter. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very kind of worrying state of affairs. And I think what we're seeing in Ross Cray is we're getting more of the government sort of kowtowing to this to this movement. Um, you know, like there's been talk of providing this sort of community host- community hotel for the people of Ross Cray, which is an interesting idea because like it does it injects some life into the town, and there's yeah. been successful examples of that in other towns. But it is it is just strange because it does suggest that the fact that these people are going and protesting in this way where they're, you know, outside a building with women and children in it, that, that is kind of it's starting to get results in terms of the government paying attention to them, yeah. which is kind of it's pretty concerning. It um, is concerning. And like, you know, look, like, as you say, often this kind of thing is the result of genuine concerns and genuine worries about your community or your town or genuine fear. And um, that's what feeds into this kind of thing happening, these kind of protests. The far right definitely take advantage of people who have genuine concerns. Um, but, you know, if that starts to work for people, then obviously they're going to continue to do it. And the connection between the two things is kind of strengthened even though there isn't really a connection and um, so it is you're right it is worrying um, and you know you I just found the, the, the footage of you know people being shouted at children being shouted at as they were trying to make their way into a temporary new home coming from God knows what circumstances really difficult to watch and I know a lot of people did as well and um, but you know the government really need to look at this this is this is something that they need to tackle and in fairness I did see a discussion in during the week which did acknowledge that you know the communication is poor and that they really need to improve things if they want this kind of protesting to stop but I kind of I don't know I worry it's too late yeah, well, for me, I think they, I think there's there's a more cynical way you can look at it, which is that, you know, if there are two groups that can be blamed between sort of an out group in terms of you know international protection applicants or the government who aren't who have failed to sort of provide certain services in local areas for ten years, that the government would be happier. And this is you know this is not me saying what's happening; it's just a way of looking at it. Mm. Um, that the government are happier for them not to get the blame, and mm. so they're happier for the international protections to the applicants to soak up the blame. Mm. And I think that's that is a thing for people to bear in mind when they watch how the government responds to things like this because you know we can talk about the communication not being there we can talk about you know people like Roderick O'Gorman get criticized and and but like ultimately we are in a situation where these people the people who are protesting there is definitely a level of like moral agency on their shoulders like you know even though things can be difficult in Ross Cray or things can be difficult in this town or that town you know 
there needs to be, as people have pointed out, if you want actual change, you know, your protest should be outside whatever Leinster House. They should yeah. be, they should be directed at the people who have the power to, to change. change, you yeah. know, change the way that Ireland operates. And as far as you know, because we talk about this whole thing, you know, Ireland is full, but Ireland isn't full. Ireland is, you know, hugely derelict. It's mm. Ireland is is empty in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and I think you know the responsibility for that does not lie with. Uh, it does not lie with people coming from Ukraine or coming from Afghanistan. Yeah. It, it very much lies with the government. So Absolutely. it's just one of those things that you really hope that people start to see. Sense. And for me, that's where I think the communication comes in. For me, the communication, it shouldn't be about, you know, people talk about communication in terms of communities being alerted that international protection applicants are coming in. But for me, the key around communication is is communicating to people that the issue isn't international protection applicants. Yeah, absolutely. It goes so much deeper. And that's where I would like to see kind of better communication. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I think that's what, I wish I could remember who was saying it, but that's what this this person was saying was that like, you know, if you look at even just the the contribution to the economy that people from other countries make, um, you know, and that that then is plowed back into things like, you know, child benefit and, you know, people's pensions. And, you know, you there is a contribution being made by people from other countries that people seem to forget about sometimes. Okay, let's move on to the Iowa caucus, which is a phrase I feel like lots of people will know about, but many people will be like, what does it actually mean? Yeah, that's so funny you should say that, because uh, that is exactly how I feel about the Iowa caucus as well. <laughs> like, I, I actually think that that's how, I honestly think that a lot of Americans, that's how they regard it as well, because obviously the Iowa caucus, it's the first of the primaries, mm-hmm. but it doesn't refer to itself as a primary, it refers to itself as a caucus. And for which people is really, who don't know, like what even is a primary? So the primaries are how, you know, every, this is how the Democratic and Republican nominees for president get selected, is by the primaries, and that's each state has its own primary, or in some cases, a caucus, Mm. to uh, decide on their preferred nominee. So in this case, yeah, Donald Trump won with 51, around 51% of the vote. Because the caucus system is kind of weird, uh, you go to your local precinct or whatever, and then you kind of get organized into groups, and the groups can kind of speak on who they want to be the nominee and they try to convince other people to come and join their group and it's it's a big ritual and it's it's strange um <laughs> but uh so donald trump he, he won he couldn't like sort of considerably ahead of ron DeSantis. i think he beat DeSantis. DeSantis got about 21 percent mm. of the vote he's the governor of florida and nikki haley former governor <laughs> of south carolina she got about 19 percent. she was hoping to sort of come in second and to to be a proper challenger for trump the next primary is is new hampshire and Nikki Haley is polling quite well there. So she mm-hmm. was kind of hoping to get a bit of momentum going into that. But it looks like it's Trump's to win, to be honest. Like, he would have hoped for better than, I think, 51%. But, I mean, given that he's up against several other candidates, 51% is pretty strong. Yeah. Um, um, and I think, you know, it is worrying if you look at things like, for example, as discussed, uh, what's happening in Palestine and the American role in that. Like, that's not going to do Joe Biden any favors with a lot of young progressive voters. So I saw Bernie Sanders tweeting during the week that basically the Democratic Party has to provide like a, a genuinely progressive alternative to a Donald Trump so that because it can't just be we're voting for the Democrats because we don't want to vote for Donald Trump. Like they, they need more than that. Absolutely. And, you know, you even see it with the reputation of Bernie Sanders. His, his reputation has suffered in the last couple of months yeah. because he has been quite slow to react to the situation in, in Gaza and Israel. He This week he called for a um, for a for an investigation into whether or not 
Israel is sort of committing war crimes and for, for aid packages to be tied to the results of that investigation, but that was shot down. But he's really the only, and, and again, we can't state enough, he's kind of doing the bare minimum and, and even he is kind of the only one even doing the bare minimum. Yeah. Uh, and that goes to your point about, yeah, the Democratic Party right now, they're not that, you know, there's certain things that American politicos will, will kind of point towards, things yeah. like the economy is not so bad and, you know, certain things like there have been certain small changes made, like getting rid of bank overdraft fees, things that appeal to people. But, yeah, there's no there's no denying that Joe Biden has lost critical support from young people because young people in the U.S., are quite sympathetic to the uh, the plight of Palestinians. Yeah, well, is- I saw I saw someone on TikTok this week saying that you know one of one of their big problems is literally TikTok because you know um, young Americans are on TikTok and so therefore they have access to you know people on the ground in Palestine, people like Bassan, who you mentioned earlier, and they can see what's happening. And so you know you can't really it's much harder to indoctrinate them or to kind of filter what's getting to them now than it was previously. And yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what role that does play in politics um very interesting indeed but uh, you know jesus you just hope it doesn't end up with a donald trump presidency again um, yeah and right now that's where my money would be i know honest. i know me too and isn't that yeah. awful um Okay, we have two very quick ones to hit before we finish. Um, And the first one is, I just thought that this was appalling, but not shocking, um, that during the week there was a committee hearing um, in which it was said that the Children's Mental Health Service is largely non-existent in Ireland. Yeah, that that was the phrase that was used. And this is is the Joint joint Oireachtas Committee on Health. Um, They were talking about CAMS, uh, which is Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services in Ireland. And as you say, they were labelled by it was it was a parents group that mm. was in testifying, um, uh, and they were they were talking about the sort of the biases faced by autistic children mm. uh, when they you know are seeking mental health services, and that you know apparently the situation now is that if you're autistic, you're you're far less likely to to get at the services you need because people are assuming that depression or or this or that mental illness is just wrapped up in. The diagnosis of autism and that you know you should be left to the the autism the autism help services you know mm. rather than getting specialized cams treatment mm. um but this is something that like has been going on or something that we've been aware of now for for years years are, yeah you know, certain sections or certain parts of ireland where if you are a child or a, you know the parent of a child with a mental illness that you cannot get help and it's it's really very disturbing well what Um, what really gets to me is that you know you and I haven't had this conversation but previously on the podcast we've talked about Tusla being in crisis basically and absolutely not having the resources that it needs to provide adequate care to this this was a, a judge who said this to provide adequate care to young people in Ireland who need to be cared for by Tusla. So, you know, the sim- one of the symptoms and the side effects of that of children not receiving adequate care is, you know, problems with mental health. And so now we're looking at a situation where we are potentially giving young people problems with their mental health and then saying that we can't care for them when they have problems with their mental health. And that's, you know, just one section of the entire thing. And and this is the thing that gets me when you see people who are saying that they want to protect the women and children of Ireland. I'm like, if you want to protect the children of Ireland, how about you turn your attention to the ways that the state is genuinely failing the children of Ireland? Like, put that energy into protesting about this stuff and then you'll have a lot more people on your side because this is a legitimate failure and it is it is appalling 
it's failure is the perfect word for it and it's something whenever i read stories like this it's, it is exactly where my, where my mind goes because it's such a fundamental provision that the state is supposed to have in place for people you yeah. know it's, it's such a you know in terms of the social contract it's just an absolute cornerstone if you're going to have trust in your state if you're going to have trust in the people who run the state then you need to know that children are able to access healthcare, whether that's you know physical health care or mental health care yeah. like, and the fact that that as we're hearing there is none of that available is just it really is very frightening you know I, the one of the like they were saying that uh, about a third of the 16 teams required across the country have been established even. So like that is just, it's a huge gap in public services. Um, it's a disgrace. I it mean, is, it, not yeah, to be all uh, talk to Joe about it, but it is a disgrace. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should be talking to Joe. I'm sure lots of people have. Um, and then finally, I wanted to finish on a good news story. We've got some prize cuts. Yes, <laughs> yeah, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> At long last, getting uh, some prize cuts. Honestly. And like, this is so, so <clears throat> is bored gosh. Uh, they said they were cutting their residential electricity and gas by what, what? around 10%. And that's, you know, that's, that's good news. It is crazy because, you know, we're seeing that even now with these reductions, it's still like, it's about twice what your bill would have been in like 2020, you know? So it's, it's one of those funny things where, uh, you know, we're celebrating the prices going down, but it is like, it is actually just like a small yeah. decrease after a huge increase. But like, you know, let's, let's just take what we can get. We've got to, like, we've got to, yeah. we've got to, we've got to, man. We've just got to grab yeah. onto this you know, like, because times things, are hard. yeah, times are so hard. Um, and Electric and, Ireland and, also cutting residential electricity prices. So, you know, thank God for yeah. small blessings. Is that an expression? Yeah, you know, like it'll amount to annual savings of about 150, 100 euro, you know, for people. So like, it's not nothing for sure. It's not uh, nothing, but it could know, be better. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that can be like our motto for like the good, the good news story each week. Just be like, well, it's not nothing, you know, slightly better than nothing. It's not nothing. Yeah. Wow. Put it on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carl, thank you so much. You can read Carl's column, Surreeling in the Years, on thejournal.ie uh, every week. It comes out every Saturday. And then you can also check out um, other other bits of his writing there. Is there anything anywhere else you'd like to direct the people, Carl? Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at TV's Carl Kinsella and on Instagram at Carl.Kinsella. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Louise. Rode Farley is a comedian, a lovely man all round, I have to say. And if you went to see one of Joanne McNally's 150,000 shows for the Prosecco Express tour, you probably will have seen him opening up for her. He has his own tour at the moment and I wanted to catch up with him, uh, talk to him about the Joanne McNally effect and also what it was like to be a part of that tour, as well as his own career, where things are moving and uh, how it's changed direction in recent years. Geroid Farley, what a pleasure it is. Although it's so hard for me not to say Geroid because of Joanne McNally. That like, <laughs> do you get that all the time? All of the time. I swear to God, like I've never felt more popular than <laughs> like doing her tour. Like I've had like the bizarrest experience just by association with her. Yeah, well, let's like, actually. I suppose let's start there, and we have we haven't even done any pleasantries, but let's just get straight straight into it because. <laughs> You know, obviously, Joanne is your great pal and um, your comedy colleague. And 
you know, she had the last couple of years for her have been frankly insane. And um, as as her friend, it's been amazing to see because she worked so hard for so long. But she's, you know, she just finished up the Prosecco Express. She did. She just said she didn't even know how many of those gigs she did. But like, it's got to be in the hundred kind of sphere. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I did maybe 180 with her, I think. 180? Because that's what I was going to say. You were I, I there for most was, of them, yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, but I mean, on top of that, she did like, you know, America and Canada and uh, Dubai and Australia and, you know, so like, I don't, I honestly don't know how she's still standing because I, <laughs> I haven't done nowhere near as many shows as her and I um like over Christmas I was like yeah I I need I need to be signed in now I'm I'm a dead body (laughs) I am in the throes of a mental and physical crisis (laughs) so for anybody I mean the thing is I think every woman in Ireland did go and see the Prosecco Express tour at some stage and you know you were at the vast majority of those gigs so people probably will have seen you opening for Joanne but what was the experience like I mean you obviously had no idea at the start that it was I presume that it was going to end up being the phenomenon that it was yeah I mean I I my first experience of working with Joanne was her very first Vicar Street prior to uh prior to COVID I guess maybe a year before that she Mm. asked me to open for her Mm. and I thought yeah grand I mean I knew her I didn't Mm. I didn't know her that well but like we'd always get on when we gig together um and then I guess through COVID we became became friends because we were both about to do tours and we were like what's happening with the world and I, I guess she became during COVID she became very ambitious whereas I was exactly the opposite I was like oh I'm I'm done like that's I'm, I'm not going back to that I, I feel like this is my easy out this is like time move on do something else yeah um so she kind of um and she really pulled me back in yeah. you know to um to comedy so when we started I guess my her, her thoughts were you know this has blown up. We don't know how big it is. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know if like the people that bought tickets six months prior to lockdown's ending, we're still going to go, oh yeah, I want to go and see that girl. Yeah. Um, so when we started the tour, we, did, we, did, we just didn't know what it was going to be like. I, I mean, I remember the first day, the first ones we did were Leicester Square. Um, in On the 3rd of December, Ireland was still in lockdown. Right. And we were like, sitting backstage going can we still do stand-up like <laughs> like <laughs> do we remember how like <laughs> yeah it's like she used to do an hour i just do half an hour it's like can we i don't know <laughs> i don't know if we still have the thing and yeah and i remember us walking like out of that gig and we were like geez they were like they were up for us yeah. i wonder like what the tour is going to be like because we weren't starting for another month right. and when we started in baker street we were um we had to do two shows a day because we were still it was still at 50% capacity. We were still, uh, there was a curfew for eight o'clock. God, it's mad to so think we about like, isn't it? It's yeah. insane. So yeah, I mean, I guess, and then it just escalated into like within a couple of weeks, we knew how big it was going to be. And they were like, I had a, was getting a tour on the books. Her, our UK agent was like, we need more dates. We need more dates. So our, like there was basically, we were balancing three, an Irish tour, a UK tour, and my tour we're just plugging in left right and center so Mm. the year became crazy because like gigs were just flung in wherever they could be put so we had we had like nights we were in cork and the next night we were in Derry, and the night after that we were in cork like (laughs) it was it was wild and like we were in (laughs) and you were doing all the driving right i was doing driving in a van oh like yeah it was bad that was that was like at some point i do remember 
Like, I remember being on the M50 in a van and Joanne just looking at me going, are you okay? And I was like, I'm not sure. But I feel <laughs> I feel somebody should just intervene and go, no, this is a really bad idea. But nobody did. <laughs> and look, you live to tell the tale, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> and so what impact has it had for you, you know, on your career? Yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. I mean, I... Like, I've been gone a long time and I, I've, you know, I supported Neil Delamer for years. I was, mm. you know, I was very much a comedy bridesmaid. And right. I guess, you know, I guess around 2016, I kind of became, you know, I kind of thought, okay, this actually isn't going to happen. Yeah. It will be, I'll, I'll, be a club, I'll be a club comic. I'll, you know, there's a good living to be made just doing clubs and doing supports, but I'm not going to be a, I guess, a big selling headline act. Right. So, I'd kind of resigned myself to that. But I guess what happened was I was always in front of the wrong audience. Right. And then all of a sudden uh, I was in front of a room full of women mm. and gays. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I'll never forget it. These are my people. <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, where have you been? Like, I remember in um, Galway, it was very early in Joanne's tour. Uh, like, the Baker Streets have been going well. But I always think when a Baker Street... It's like, yeah, like it was standing ovations and they love me. And yeah, but like, yeah, of course, like it's a thousand people. It's an easy room. It's, you know, mm. yeah, it will be nice. And then I remember getting a standing ovation after an, the support set in Galway. And I was like, whoa. And I kind of come off and I was shell shocked. And I was like, oh, I'm good at this. No, <laughs> you know? Wow, yeah. You know, but, but I guess it was just, yeah. And then I was like, oh oh okay and that I guess it kind of just switched up and you start to feel a bit different about it yeah. Um, and yeah I mean now I'm selling yeah I mean it's so funny because uh I was, you're being I was modest but you're selling big venues yeah 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 I am I guess and I, I it's funny because I was telling to my agent about it and it was like or Vicker Street's on one tour to sell them out would be really good before Joanne did seven yeah <laughs> yeah it would be unbelievable yeah for like for like people will be really impressed by that before yeah. before Joanne did yeah 70, she did kind of ruin know? it didn't she yeah I know and every so often she go you're putting on a fourth figure that's amazing like Joanne shut please, up Joanne <laughs> please, please I don't need your pity do not patronize me <laughs> god it's amazing though I'm so delighted for you and are you enjoying it yeah, I'm having a ball. I mean, yeah. I really, really am. Like, it's 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 that weird phase now, like, um, where like my tour is coming to an end. Like, I've, I think I've twenty more dates left, and that's it. Um, but so I'm starting to write the next one, mm. which is um, that's always exciting because it's not like I guess a musical act where you've got like this, you know, you can go out and do the next tour and have like the hits. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now you're going from. Uh, I guess going into clubs with 20 minutes of material and finding out 10 minutes of it works and you know which is always the bit in comedy I love but yeah. again I'm just like you know I have to be on tour next year and I have to have a, like a great show so yeah. it's like just start writing you know so it's it's exciting. It's funny that thing you said about finding your audience particularly I think if your audience is women and gay people or queer people um I, you know I don't know where you draw the line Chris. um but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. but I think um I can see how it might be fine it might be difficult to find those people because you know we often feel I think kind of excluded by a, a lot of comedy or certainly feel like the butt of a joke or historically have been the butt of a joke in a lot of comedy um but I think you know obviously the Joanne tour helped you there but do you think social media can be a big part of that as well oh yeah completely I mean I, I was talking to Chris Kent about this where 
you know, we were talking about how it was such a different ball game when we started. Yeah. Like when we started around the end of like the 2000 and, you know, 2008, 2009. Like if you were playing a club, you were on with probably four other white straight guys mm. and everyone was trying to get on the panel. Mm. And if one person, and you know, there were four slots on the panel and if one person got on the panel, you didn't. Yeah. You know, so it was like, I, I guess traditionally comedy I think in Ireland has and and everywhere else I mean you know it it was led by television it was led by there only being so many slots it was so that made it competitive and combative and and everyone was kind of your competition yeah whereas now that's just not the case I mean like for example Chris Kent who's selling loads of tickets at the moment and doing like like is absolutely going to be the next big thing um he is you know, he's one of my best friends, mm. but we're not in competition with each other. And we were talking about that on Sunday. We were like, you know, we have to be really careful that we don't fall into that old trap of like pulling the ladder up. Yeah. Because, you know, that was traditionally, I guess, what the whole generation of comedians had to do because they had yeah. to protect their patch. Whereas we don't have to do that because you've got a podcast, social media, yeah, the people that like me come and find me. Yeah. And the same with, with every other comic. And it doesn't mean that they're, because they, they like you, they can't like somebody else. Yeah, it's funny because you know? I, I kind of feel the same way about, you know, my work. Uh, like when I was in radio, it was like there's a finite number of jobs and there's a finite yeah. jo- number of jobs for women and there's a finite number of jobs for women like me. And there's only so many shows that I want to do. And it does feel yeah. competitive as, as, as women supporting women as you want to be. It, it, sometimes that little edge is in there as much as you don't like it. But the yeah. advent of podcasts and all of the other opportunities that come with kind of the internet, I suppose, um, you know, it means that you can carve out your corner. You don't need to be mass appeal. You don't need to get on the panel or you don't need to yeah. be on a national radio station. You can just find your people who like you and they can also like five other podcasts and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And it's so, like, it's such a relief. Yeah, like, yeah. Because I think that, um, like, I, I did an interview there a couple of weeks ago. They were like, are you worried about Shane Daniel Burton? I was like, no, he's amazing. Like, I, like <laughs> I'd be worried about him, to be worried? honest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as a Not for that reason, amazing, but... <laughs> as a person, not for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny though, isn't it? Even that question kind of tries to corner you into like a certain, or put you in a certain pocket or something. Um, you know, because all gay men are the same, of course. Yeah, of course, absolutely. And we can never be on a lineup together and mm. like we only have the same opinions. But like, uh, yeah, I guess, I, I guess this is the real, um, you know, this this is the real opportunity in like social media and all of this stuff. And we have to just make sure that we do take it. Yeah. You know, because it, it'd be very easy just to be like, you know, like, like I, I really think the more comedians, the better, like the more um, Ireland is used to seeing comedians and going to comedy. Mm-hmm. like the better for everyone like yeah. I, I just don't think nobody's totally. served by there just been a handful of lads doing all the all the work no you know um yeah. speaking of podcasts you have a podcast that you do with eurovision legend <laughs> and icon neve kavanagh it's called agony rants please tell the people how it came to be that you were doing a podcast with eurovision legend and icon neve kavanagh yeah <laughs> that, that's that's a bit of a it's a weird story so basically I, when I was a little gay teen, um, Neve lived around the corner from me and won the Eurovision. And my my take on it was, well, if there's a Eurovision winner in the area, 
we obviously have to be friends. <laughs> I mean, I respect so, it. So, yeah, exactly. So I just did what, you know, all, you know, sane, well-balanced <laughs> people do. <laughs> and knocked on the door, was like, hi, I'd like to be friends with Neve, please. And, um, and Neve, unfortunately, you know, was just like, okay, I guess I have to go along with this. <laughs> How amazing, I guess, though. I guess this is part of it. So we've been friends for like since 1994, I guess. Sorry, maybe. I need to go back to the beginning. Like, how did that friendship grow? Like, what what were you? Did oh, you I, knock I, on the door and say, "Can Eve come out to play?" Or like, how was that yeah, working? I mean, I mean, basically, I mean, it was a fan for like, I was a fan for a long time. Like, you know, I mean, I still have like postcards that are like, you know, dear Garoad, I'm in Nashville recording my album. Aww. Hope you're keeping well, or you know. Or, you know, or good luck with your junior cert. (laughs) (laughs) And sorry, sorry to hear that things with your girlfriend aren't going well. I'm sure. (laughs) 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 I'm sure things will all become clear in the future. Um, That's so sweet. So I guess then, I guess then when I, you know, turned 20, we kind of just became mates then. Um, So, yeah. So during the pandemic, she took a job. And it was like all over the papers mm-hmm. um, because like, you know, she, her tour was cancelled, two kids in college, husband has had a stroke. Mm. And I, I, like, and she was like, fine, that's, you know, but I was like, I, I kind of think that's shit, actually. I think, I think no matter how, no matter what a positive spin is on this, I was like, I think it's kind of shit. And I think that, um, uh, you know, let's show the world what you can do. She always wants to do a podcast. So I was like, let's, let's do a podcast. So we went and did a podcast and I thought we'll, we'll do six episodes of this mm. <laughs> because I had another podcast that I adored making. Mm. But, um, and then it just took off in a, in a way that like I very much had not expected. <laughs> like, I mean, really didn't expect. But yeah, and, and unfortunately she's incredibly funny and uh, <laughs> kind-hearted and unfortunately people love her and I'm really sick of people coming up to me and going, Kevin is so funny. Like, is she? Is she? <laughs> oh, I know that feeling. Um, and yeah. <laughs> just for people, you know, what's the, the premise of the podcast is um, kind of that you, you can get a bit of uh, advice yeah, I guess it's people writing with their problems. And mm. that wasn't, we, I actually did a call out when we were doing the pilot uh, to say, like, if anyone wants to, you know, talk to us or, or had a, I can't remember what it was, maybe give us a story about something. And we got two problems in and I was like, oh, I've, I've clearly said something wrong. And then Neve was like, well, let's just, Lean let's just in. answer them. Yeah. yeah. And then she came up with the name Agony Rants. So like really anything that's smart or witty or funny about the podcast is all clearly down to me. And yet, so. <laughs> and yet you're the comedian. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm the comedian. <laughs> it's been really humbling, Louise. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, so let's talk about the tour because as you said, you've got dates left and um, I know you're doing, you've won this weekend in London, right? But then you've got loads of dates yeah. around Ireland. So what can people expect from the uh, from the tour? Um, Glamour Hammer is basically it's about it's more or less just about things that I'm just not particularly good at like you know um, like being glamorous or <laughs> in, in, in relationships or having pets or <laughs> being an adult so it's just like it's not a it's definitely not a show with any sort of you know meaning or <laughs> I'm not I'm not addressing world problems. Okay. It's just literally an hour of like funny, funny, funny. Let's just enjoy ourselves because we're all still alive. Yeah. Um, you know, because I feel like there is a culture now of, you know, comedians that 
write shows about how much they're unraveling. Yes. <laughs> and which is, you know, all great and courageous, but I, I'm just not that good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is just a, a, an hour and a 20 minutes of just funny, funny, funny. And, um, yeah, it's, it's running until, I think, April. Yeah, I have so, the dates in front of me. I mean, he is all over the country, my friend. So if you want to go and see him, you absolutely can. You can get the dates at garodefarley.com forward slash tour. He is in Longford. He's in Navan. He's in Mullingar. He's in Kilmallock. I don't know where that is. He's in Carrigan, yeah. Shannon, Dunleary, <laughs> Castle Bar, Carrigan. You will know. You will know when you get there. I, w- Nina, I will know. Port Marnock, <laughs> Straban, like he is getting around the place. So if you want to go and see Garode, and I highly encourage it, go to garodefarley.com forward slash tour and you'll get all the details there. And then, yeah, you'll have a new, you're working on new stuff. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm trying to write the new show now, which is like, it's kind, it is my favorite bit. I've forgotten how much, like, because I, I don't really get nervous doing the show because mm. I just don't. But but with new material, you're oh, you're just in the wings going, Oh, good God. Yeah, please. <laughs> I've never said this before. Please, please, just at least some of it work. Yeah. Well, look, good luck with that. And thanks for coming on to have a chat with me. And I hope that you have a great time traveling around Ireland doing those gigs. And uh, you've loads of lovely people in the audience. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Louise. Thanks for having me. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. James O'Hagan, what a pleasure it is to have you once again in my humble abode on this freezing day. Oh my God, absolutely frozen outside. I kind of just want to set up shop here for the day, Louise. I may not, I may not leave. Well, I'll be honest, James, <laughs> it gets pretty cold here. <laughs> I'm like, how is this house so cold? And I actually find myself keep thinking, if I'm freezing in this house... Like, what about the people who are in places that don't have heating oh or who can't afford to turn on the heat or people who are outside? Like, I don't know how no, people are coping. No, like, it is horrific. This time of year, like, I mean, you know, we go into, like, a tailspin over the summer when it gets too hot and we're like, oh my God, the world is ending. But you do forget, actually, how horrific it is when it's this cold. Yeah. And if you're in a space where, like, you don't have heating or, you know, you aren't able to turn on the heating or can't afford to, like, it is nothing worse than sitting there freezing cold, yeah. covered in blankets that aren't really doing anything. Yeah, I'll never forget, during the big freeze, I was living in a, in a beautiful, big, old house 
place and it was gorgeous and we loved it in the summer. But in the winter, I mean, you couldn't eat it. Yeah. It was like, you know, the windows were old windows. The rooms were big. Like the only room that we could get even a little bit warm was the sitting room because it had a fireplace. So we'd have the fire on and we all ended up having to go. Fortunately, we all had boyfriends at the time. <laughs> we all ended up having to go and stay in our boyfriends because we were freezing the entire time. And that's not even the worst of it. So yeah, uh, th- thoughts are with you if you're in a situation where you can't heat your house for whatever reason yeah. or it's just not happening um, because it is so cold. Oh my God, it really is. It really I love is. even a bit of snow. Like if it's going to be this I'm cold, thinking, like, can you we not just, give us a bit of snow? Can we just transition this into a bit of an event? Yeah. Can we make it a bit of an event with some snow? Yeah. Get a couple of days off work. Have that kind of like jolliness of going to the pub. Yeah. You know, honestly, please. I like, feel. Oh, sorry. Days off work and going to the pub. Is that what you do in in those? Well, actually, this is what we used to do in pre-COVID times because, like, oh well, now you're all set up to work from home. But yeah. like, you know, it would just. I remember like the big snow the last time. It was kind of like everyone just like making their way down to whatever the local pub was and like sitting in there for, making like, having their way downtown. <laughs> sorry, just literally. But I mean, that's it. the vibe. Yeah, I know. I, I yeah, I don't remember ever doing that but it sounds delightful oh it's gorgeous I would the just be trying to probably fashion a sled out of like a tray or something <laughs> and trying to find somewhere to bring the kids okay we've got loads and loads and loads of celeb stuff to talk about because we are in the thick of award season and I couldn't be happier about it I know Moira it. Rose's favourite season yeah. awards <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> uh, we actually have two sets of awards to discuss even just within this one slot and that is the Emmys and the Critics Choice Awards um, are they always this close together it feels like they're really on top of each other at the yeah. moment now I do know so with the Emmys I think that they all always are on top of them and I think that it's just some of the more niche awards shows like the People's Choice and the Critics Choice are just garnering a bit more attention now so we're okay, noticing yeah. Because I think that, like, up until maybe a few years ago, kind of, we would see the Golden Globes, we would see the Oscars, you'd be aware of the Emmys, mm. but I don't know that they were kind of breaking through here in the way that they are now, because of, like, sort of, like, influences like Evan Ross Katz and that, who are kind of, like, really pumping that kind of, yeah. you know, pop culture. And we're and social it. media in general. Social like, media my TikTok, because I love it, is giving me nonstop awards content, so... A hundred percent. But this, so the this is the, the, the Emmys for the 2022-2023 season took place because it had had to be cancelled last year due to the the writer strike so it was like it was a bit sort of weird for me kind of watching all the stuff coming in it was like oh that's a show that hasn't been on for a year well, that yeah. show's finished <laughs> <laughs> yeah I because when I was actually doing the research for this I was like is this about like is this an old article that's been misdated that I'm reading and that I realise no 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 but I mean some of the some of the big moments of the night I have to start off now I am an absolute slut for good in memoriam section and <laughs> the Emmys did not disappoint <laughs> <laughs> what a phrase I love it <laughs> but so we were we were saying goodbye to um, quite a few kind of big name people who died over the last sort of year year and a half Matthew Perry Agnes Cloud Len Goodman oh, Barbara yeah. Walters Angela Lansbury Kirstie Alley and Leslie Jordan oh the, the, the absolute icon I'd actually forgotten some of those I know lo- like major losses absolutely so they had uh, Charlie Puth and a um, Charlie a, a, Puth I know Charlie Puth and a, a group called I think Warren Theatre uh, were there to, to to give a beautiful rendition of, uh, of of Charlie Puth's song See You Again and then also like a really gorgeous version of I'll Be There For You the Friends Aww. theme as well and you know you had the sort of Sephia theme sort of um, pictures of the people floating in the background it was all very lovely though I got into the emotion of it yeah I feel like I might cry if I watched that yeah oh, yeah, but it was lovely it was it yeah. was really really nice now I would have done without the like weird sort of cap cut montage at the end that you kind of okay. look like it was made for like a joke uh, sort of Instagram post but beautifully moving uh, okay. segment the whole thing though was kind of around commemoration because they had taken an approach
approach with the set design for for the Emmys of kind of like recreating famous sets from days gone by yeah. which was a really lovely way to kind of honour some of like the big particularly the big legends who, who kind of had been lost over the years so they had recreated the uh, the therapy set from the from the Sopranos they'd recreated the set of, the, of I think those were the days a few other places mm. so that's where the, the, the awards were kind of being um, the, the nominees were being announced from mm. and big 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 winner on the night was Jennifer Coolidge and the Evil Gaze yeah. I think that was number one for everyone oh, I love her. great to see her out again wasn't it like, yeah just like bring her to all the award shows even if she's not in a show just bring her because we want to look at her no absolutely and hear because she's she is a chaotic presenter she has a chaotic energy that I just absolutely love her big thank you obviously was to uh, was Michael Weiss for kind of like mm. giving her the career resurgence and then again thanked all the evil gays for kind of and I'm, I'm taking that to just mean all of the gays yes. all of the all of the LGBTs and the Qs and yes. the allies and I everyone. think that's what she means yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and the biggest biggest winner on the night though was The Bear which is a TV show that I haven't watched and this is as we you get haven't to watched it no, I haven't. <gasps> and this is the thing now. I'm as, actually as jealous. We, as we as we get into like talking about say the Critics Choice Awards and as well, it is just so many television shows that I'm like, oh, I should watch that, and I haven't watched that, and I kind of think to myself, oh, uh, I don't think I've got, t- I haven't got time to watching all these TV shows. And then Apple sends me my screen time, and I'm like, oh right, I need to take a seat. <laughs> As it turns out, I have the time. I'm just yeah. not using it. I'm that just way. choosing to play Merge Mansion and be on Instagram. <laughs> um, oh, you should watch The Bear, though. It is so brilliant, and it's only two series seasons, and I think there's only like six or eight episodes per season. Yeah, so it's not I, a huge like you do it in a couple of weeks. You know, I watched I watched the first episode of it last year, and I did find myself getting into it, but it just was one of them that I needed like I need a day to sit mm. down with it and get into it, and like seeing the absolute rapturous uh, yeah. way in which this second season in particular has been returned has been received I'm, oh. I'm i really want to get into it yeah even just for there's a christmas episode in the second series with jamie lee curtis in it which is Brilliant. honestly one of the best episodes of television i've ever seen it is just spectacular it's like a standalone film almost um and there is part of it where jamie lee curtis is putting butter on bread with her bare hands um, that like I may get it tattooed on my body like a, a still from it because it's so spectacular she is incredible in it I have to say like because obviously 2022 2023 gave us uh, a bit of a Jamie Lee Curtis resurgence mm. uh, and I, I am living for it because she is such an underrated uh, like actress and such an mm. underrated such an underrated character in Hollywood because she is she is such an intense performer yeah like that everything everywhere all at once performance was unbelievable yeah. uh, like to be able to perform so beautifully when you've got like huge long sausage fingers yeah. I mean. <laughs> but yeah so um, I think that's the um, the sort of the, the biggest moment though I think probably moving into the, the critics choice well oh no for the Emmys biggest losers Better Soul Call managed to across its seven year run not win a single Emmy despite being nominated for, nominated for 53 of them yeah I saw that it's like the biggest loser ever yeah but then I saw the, the people the cast of it's always it's always I was always, say, it's always funny it's always sunny in Philadelphia did they were presenting an award and their whole bit was did you guys know that this was happening every year because they have never been nominated <laughs> and they've been on since 2005 that show has not been on since 2005 yeah that's oh what they were saying God. 
And they were like, did you guys know this was happening? Like, I didn't know. And they did this whole bit about like, you guys come here every year? Like, we've never <laughs> heard. Like, we've been on since 2005. And then they asked Danny DeVito. Uh, they were like, did you know about this? And he's like, yeah, well, I got one. And he, they were like, oh, really? And he was like, yeah, for taxi. And they're like, okay, how long w- were you on? And he was like, oh, we got this many awards, this many nominations. We were on for five years. And the rest of them were like, what? <laughs> so it, I, I don't know. Is that somehow, I kind of kind of beats Better Call Saul. It, it does indeed. And it's sort of unfair. I mean, that show like had a he- had a heyday that it deserved some awards for. I'm not sure that it's still in that heyday. Yeah. I certainly have I've actually never watched it. So. There, there's a couple of episodes, there's a couple of seasons in there that are really, really funny, but then it kind of just goes you, yeah. like all the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, also, Ted Lasso snubbed for its final season, having been kind of a bit of an Emmy's darling for, yeah. for, for two seasons. Apparently that third season was just really not well received. So. I didn't, yeah. We watched the first two series, I think, and then didn't finish it because it wasn't, it wasn't giving, yeah. in my um, opinion. Um, so the Critics' Choice Awards also took place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the how fun would it be by the way to be going to all these oh my god, I, lo- oh my god. I would just love to be there even just to be a seat filler just to be a seat filler just like popping in to sit beside like uh, America see, Ferrera for a moment I would want to be in it like I would want to be like bopping over to Taylor Swift's table and being like hey honey and like oh Io hi like I'd want to be in it because I'm I that's me I, I think you, you bring up Io Debris there who I think is the the foremost and most important individual for us yes. to talk about in this segment could obviously. not agree more she has been being like she has been like mopping up the awards for the bear over the course of the while, and so and deserved so deserved and has become an unlikely Irish superstar for now I like this took me so long to figure out yeah so I <laughs> am obsessed with Io DeBerry um, and have been for some time and um, since season one of the bear like I just love her in it and then the more I got to know about her the more I realized how funny she was I was yes. like okay I stand like I'm 100% in on Io um, because she was a TV writer before she was ever yeah. an actor so she, and, and she's a comedian like she is very very funny very funny very very funny yeah so I saw this happen from the get go but I have gotten so many messages from people being like can you please explain this to me so let's explain it I so I was one of those people who was like watching TikTok is this a joke I'm not getting but apparently uh, it was at an awards show last year I can't remember which one yeah. it was but she was on the red carpet being interviewed at, oh it was for the, the Bottoms premiere she was being yeah. being interviewed on the red carpet and um, she made kind of a throwaway joke about like how she had how she had portrayed uh, Jenny the donkey in the Banshees of Inishir and, and how she she said I lived in Ireland for about four months and got really into character I was on all fours for four months. It was really painful, but beautiful as well, which is the most random thing in the entire world. And I think Irish people love a bit of random humor. So we picked it up and absolutely ran with it. Yeah. And I've been just so kind of invested in this sort of like, she's now one of her own. We're claiming yeah. her as part of us. And so she now has been, I suppose, she has across She's picked her. it back up. Like, yes. I think what happened was she made that joke and then a couple of Irish, um, and I feel bad now that I can't remember the specific Instagram accounts because they deserve the credit. Um, when she won for the Golden Globes, I think they put posted or maybe it was even a previous award ceremony someone posted congratulations to Ireland's own Iowa DeBerry mm-hmm. and then she shared that and was like you know with a thank you Hans and then has just run with it yeah like, so as part of her so in her uh, acceptance speech she said to everyone in Boston Barbados Nar- Nigeria Ireland in many ways thank you <laughs> and then uh, on the red carpet of the, the Christmas award she said shout out to Derry shout out to Cork shout out to Killarney and then of course did give a shout out to Dublin but yeah. and now you have the whole country of Ireland that has fallen completely and madly in love with you. Shout out to my people. Shout out to Derry. Shout out to Cork. Shout out to Killarney. 
Shout out to Dublin. I think many people are absolutely uh, killing themselves that it was Jerry and Cork first and indeed Killarney. Uh, but yeah, so she is really picking this up and I am waiting for the moment that she arrives on oh, these shores. She is coming. She- like it, it is, it is, it has been written and so it will be it is, like it's It is coming. in the stars. But yeah. also I have to say she looked so beautiful. She was wearing this sort of like three, 3D printed, sculpted yeah. kind of black dress that was just absolutely oh. gorgeous. So structural. Uh, big she has looked amazing though oh my god like throughout yeah like her the white suit that she wore at the critics choice um which she said was kind of like almost like a throwback to um whoopi goldberg like she had these really cool 90s sunglasses on on the on the red carpet i'm obsessed with her she's no she's she's absolutely stunning critics choice were the other sort of major uh major moments a lot of a lot of kind of i think the 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 industry kind of reckoning with itself about the sort of you know past ways in which it has treated more minority people so there's been a lot of people kind of having historic firsts there was, I think, is it um, Nisi? Nisi Nash. Yes, yeah. made, made a made a, a uh, sort of as part of her kind of acceptance speech for the the Dammer um, for for that Dammer uh, show. Um, I'm mixing up the Emmys and the Critics' Choice here. People will yeah, need look, to pick. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so am pick I. It up. Yeah. But sort of across the board at the Critics' Choice Word, America Ferrara spoke really powerfully about like how important it is to yeah. see yourself reflected, and as a, as a, a first generation Honduran, how kind of she didn't see herself reflected, and it's so important for her to be there. Harrison Ford made a beautifully kind of moving speech. Oh my God, so. He, Moving. Yeah, where he said that he loves that the business is turning into a space that's more inclusive and is, is like, like he looked really emotional. He was saying he like really it's great did. to be here to see where our business is going also, and to see so many people who wouldn't have gotten opportunities getting opportunities. I, I was like, oh my god, Harrison Ford, are you also, my granddad now? <laughs> I will literally never get over the fact that he's married to Ali McBeal. Oh, I know, <laughs> and for years now, I like, know they're married years. It also this also gives me a segue to talk about one of my favorite like tidbits of of, of January twenty twenty four drama. So Oppenheimer was the big winner in the night with Christopher Nolan winning for best director. Now my favorite bit of information to come out over the past month is that so Christopher Nolan uh, was doing a Peloton class uh, in a, a sort of late last year, just randomly doing a Peloton class led by an instructor named Jen Sherman, and she was giving a class doing her like pedaling like on her kind of doing her kind of stuff, and then suddenly she went on this like five minute rant about how convoluted and complicated the plot of Tenant was. How it <laughs> was the most like appalling film that she'd ever seen. How it was two and a half hours of she of her life that she was literally never getting back. She was like, I need neurosurgeons in to explain this to me. What the hell was going on? And, like, <laughs> and unbeknownst to her, Christopher Nolan was there pedaling away <laughs> on his bed. <laughs> Peloton. Oh my god, so this is he iconic. Did, he spoke about this then in an interview. It was like, you know, I was, yeah, I was working out there away and, and you know, I was kind of, you know, like just suddenly she was like reading the house down for a uh, for, for tenant. Uh, he went and got a bit snippy then and said that really only crit- like proper critics deserve to be critic like to be criticized for the feelings or whatever. Jen came out to apologize. They've all made up, they're all happy, but I just love the idea of Christopher Nolan getting onto his Peloton and uh, the, the second most shocking thing to happen on a Peloton after Mr. Big, I would say. Wow, <laughs> that is so goss. Um, I just googled there just quickly for a bit of uh, 22 years Callista Flockard and Harrison Ford have been together it's amazing uh, it is absolutely amazing um, wow that was a really good summation um, thank you so much and yes <laughs> we may have mixed up the Critics Choice Awards and the Emmys but they literally happened within 24 hours of each other I know we can't, we can't be straight. expected to, to keep up um, with everything now I am desperate to talk about this because I have been puzzling over this um, for, for months now and this is not the Mean Girls remake in itself, but the way that they chose to market the Mean Girls remake. Yeah. So have you seen it? No, I haven't seen the the film yet. Uh, yeah. But I have also I have seen the conversations about this and how it's yeah. kind of like a broader 
kind of trend that like so so the the mean girls uh mean girls has been remade after the 2024 2020 oh my god since 2024 original mean girls everyone loved it amazing now 20 years later a new one is released 2004 2004 (laughs) Oh my god! It's okay. Um, Maths all, is not our strong suit. No, that's not what I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I need I'm to not a numbers my, guy. I'm not a numbers guy. But yes, not that you would know it from the trailers. This new Mean Girls is in fact a remake of the musical, which is on yeah. Broadway. Now it is apparently fantastic. It has gotten yeah. rave reviews, the musical and indeed the movie. But people are really con- confused yeah. about the fact that just nowhere apart from like the subtlest little like musical note in the Mean Girls logo would you have any awareness that this is going to be a musical so you're sitting down in your chair and all of a sudden people start singing in front of you and I know that there is it is a real Marmite effect people either like musicals or they don't like musicals but this is part of a theme because we saw it happening earlier or late last year with the Wonka movie and indeed with The Colour Purple where there has been so much advertising about the fact that these big blockbuster movies are coming with not a whisper about the musical element. And apparently execs have said that they just have done a ton of market research that has told them that musicals just turn people off, that they don't want to go see them and that the only way to do it is kind of like invest a person with kind of regular non-musical trailers and then just hope that they have a good time under it, which I think is false advertising. Yeah, I also think that like it can foster really intense negativity. Like, yeah. you know, because what I from what I've seen people, you know, there are people who are getting up and leaving because the I've, I've seen Mean Girls the musical I really liked it uh, the movie I mean um, I really liked it and um, because I knew it was a musical <laughs> like, yes. I went in with my eyes open I think it's really fun it's a little bit sweeter than the original but it's there's still loads <clears throat> excuse me there's still loads of laugh out loud moments the performances are amazing yeah I was particularly excited to see, um, I went to see a musical called A Strange Loop on Broadway when I was there in New York about a year and a half ago. And um, it's incredible, James. Oh my God, James, you would love it. Okay. Uh, it's not on Broadway anymore. It's closed, but it was in um, it was in the Barbican in London there for a while. It's, it, the tagline for it is um, a, a big black gay ass musical. Okay. I'll and it, it explores like homophobia and um, gay identity and race and uh, body stuff. I, it, actually, it's made you, you yes, actually okay, yeah, have I need to, to see, see it. <laughs> <clears throat> but the guy who I saw play the, the lead role, who was on the stage for the entire musical, is Damien in Amazing. Mean yes. Girls, the musical. So, like, they're really good people. Renee Rapp is obviously yeah. unbelievable. The performances are great. But if you go in thinking that you're going to get 2004 yeah. Mean Girls and then it opens with a literal song, you're going to be like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And, and, I, I and you're immediately going to, ha- you're starting from a point of negativity because you feel like you've been sold a lie. And it does a real disservice to <laughs> the people who've put time, effort and energy into actually creating the yeah. the, the, the the film. Because if you t- if you give people, but I, I think what they've said is that m- m- musicals are currently out. Yeah. What's happening. So if you go back to say, the early 2010s where you had say like Les Mis yeah. and you had The Greatest Showman like they were music forward yeah. they were like this is what we are and it was really in at the time but then there was a string of flop musical flops where say like I think everyone's everyone's talking about Jamie and In the Heights these things that people had anticipated were going to do really well Dear Evan Hansen mu- Dear Evan yeah. Hansen that they expect they led with the, the kind of the music on them and they've done really well so they've gone to this more kind of let's sneak people into the theatre and remind them that they like musicals through the fact that they've now spent like mortgage or house to get cinema to go see it. 
I personally think it's the wrong way to go about it. Mm. It's really going to kind of like put a lot of people off and you'll end up with more discourse about kind of like, I didn't know it was a musical. Then like, oh my God, this was a really good good, and excellent. Yeah, and uh, fun film, which it is. I do wonder if that this is going to take a turn when Wicked is released because there is no hiding the fact that Wicked is a musical. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a good point and maybe that will bring people back on board as long as it's good and it better be oh yeah no I know they really at this stage they have to do something spectacular it has got to be good but I'm I'm excited to see Mean Girls a musical but I know that I'm working I know I know that I'm walking in to see something that isn't a faithful recreation of the 2004 classic which I hold dearly and love and watch many times a year Mm. that I'm going to see something different yeah but I think that if I had been going in expecting to see something that was a complete recreation or was like kind of a new take on that that was going to just be straight up kind of retelling I certainly would be thrown by yeah. the fact that suddenly everyone was singing and dancing I'm like I didn't walk I didn't buy a ticket to high no, school exactly. musical that's not what I thought I was coming for I totally agree I totally agree I think you know it's a it's a questionable approach for sure okay I really wanted to talk about Kate Moss's 50th birthday party oh my god this this I mean to be honest can, can we say that we're not necessarily talking about Kate Moss's uh, birthday party so much as we are talking about the Daily Mail the Daily article Mail reporting. report on it which is written in with all the spies of an uninvited acquaintance <laughs> in, it is written with all this body, but uninvited un- 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 acquaintance who stood outside with their ear pressed to the door. Stopped in their tracks. It is but the so Daily funny. Mail is ultimate Daily Mailing with this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, uh, Miss Moss, uh, Miss Moss, as she is referred to throughout, they, they, I, I, I think that like feminism has finally taken over the Daily Mail, where they now use just MS for all women rather than distinctions between yeah. MRS and oh, MISS. Yeah, I'm kind of um, into But so Kate Moss turned 50 over the weekend, which honestly, she she is like perpetually like 22 in my head. So yeah, she's does, gorgeous. I actually um, met her last year and um, she does look older, but she still looks stunning. Oh yeah, no, she is stunning. And she does like, she is kind of like the classic like party girl and yeah. seems like she has lost Although she energy. doesn't drink anymore. And she's embraced spirituality. She apparently. has. I know. I've got some, I've got some very, very, very expensive tea upstairs, which would, uh, <laughs> is evidence of that embracing of spirituality. Uh, but so she had a... I did not pay for the tea. <laughs> She had a, um, a, a sort of a, a fashion-y star-studded uh, birthday party at a restaurant in Paris with gorgeous views of the Eiffel Tower. Kate Moss was there with Stella McCartney, Venus Williams, uh, Edward Enifel and Charlotte Tilbury, among sort of other friends. Um, and it, this is a, this is a, these details throughout the article, they're just like phrasing that I just absolutely... So this Parisian restaurant is known for its mousseline brioche with golden <laughs> caviar, blue lobster salad and cod confit with sauce for gay. And I'm like... <laughs> No, you're like known for your potato. I don't know, like just like such a convoluted. Like I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, I know that place. It's like it's got the place with the mousseline brioche, yeah. golden caviar, blue lobster salad, God, 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 it's all for gay. Of course. <laughs> but so Miss Moss arrived at nine ten, uh, but the party did not get going until ten thirty on the dot when Neil Young started playing, and the party really got going with his nineteen ninety two Harvest Moon. I don't know up to about full you. Volume. Yeah, I don't know about you, but if there's a song that's gonna get me going it's Neil Young's Harvest Moon <laughs> absolutely and the, it is it was, a great song I like, mean great song party starter fo- I'm not so sure followed by probably people indicating their age baby love sympathy for the devil and rebel rebel people danced non Kate Moth danced non-stop from 10 30 to 2 a.m wonderful go for you but passerbys are stopped dead in their tracks dead in their tracks to see what was going on in there and one person overheard Kate Moss shouting to an unidentified acquaintance you're not going to get kicked out just go ask for a lighter <laughs> <laughs> oh I love it 
and asked if she was having a fun night on exiting the uh, the event. She remained tight-lipped, saying true to her long-time mantra, never complain, never explain. Fully ripped from the Queen. We love it. I uh, love it so much. But I also have to say, one of my favourite bits of this art, are we calling it an article? Um, I think we'll is, just call it art. This, this art. <laughs> the bit about Charlotte Tilbury's car getting robbed. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but basically Charlotte Tilbury leaves the party and uh, someone else has gotten into her paid for car. Mm -hmm. And she's apparently standing on the pavement, giving out yards down the phone, asking for the number of the driver, saying, I paid for his car and he's fucking robbed it. Now, interestingly. I would be fuming. I would be absolutely fuming. I mean, I'm like disgusted if someone tries to jump in a taxi ahead of me, never mind if I'd actually paid for it. But I, so I was like reading through this article yesterday afternoon and then went back to read it in the evening and some of the details have been taken out. I just saw. Yeah, that's gone. Including uh, um, uh, Miss Tilbury uh, shouting about someone stoning car and standing in the um, standing in the, the the thing shouting "I'm fucking cold." Also, the piece about a male party goer who revealed that Moni Sadie Frost had lost her passport. <laughs> that has also been deleted. <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> and so I have the screenshots to prove it. If you, <laughs> yeah, because I was just, I was literally just looking in the article there for the for the Charlotte Tilbury bit, and I was like, why can't I find it? No, because when I read through it in the afternoon, I was like absolutely kill, killing myself, and it was just details about like Charlotte Tilbury yeah. and the car, and like the Sadie, male Moni, male Sadie party Frost. goer with Moni Sadie Frost. I was, and then I went back to read it, and I was like, this is much more watered down. And also, like now the headline makes no sense because who lost her passport? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah who made a phone call I wonder oh, this is what I want to know that mm. is so funny I love it so much and then finally just before I let you go Kate Blanchett is in Dublin I just wanted to advise all Kate Blanchett lovers to have your eyes peeled um, she may not still be here she may still be here but she certainly was here yeah she was down spotted down in Stony Batter looking like a glam Mrs. Brain um, it's for, really I mean I think it, the, the red hair the, the, the house coat all the rest of it uh, filming scenes for Jim Jarrett Moose's father, mother, sister, brother uh, on Oxman Town Road. Um, so that is very exciting. We love to have the stars in, obviously. Um, she looks stunning and hopefully she is still around. Apparently this 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 film will continue filming here for a while and also be shooting in, I think, somewhere in France and also in New Jersey. Okay, so um, keep, your keep your eyes peeled. peeled. Be on Blanchet Watch, but don't make a fool of us. That is, no, please. Absolutely. Uh, we need to maintain our reputation cool. for being a good yeah, place absolutely. to be we need famous. To be, yeah, we need to be continued, continue to be seen as cool. Exactly. In the eyes of celebrities. James O'Hagan, thank you so much. Tell the people about Curiosity. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, so Curiosity goes out every Saturday on Dublin City FM at 12, or you can catch it on a uh, podcast if you're not the sort of person who's out of bed by that time on a Saturday. And I know many people aren't, but it's a wonderful show. Myself and Padraig Wilson McCarty will catch you up on all of the queer news of the week. We have some great interviews with some wonderful people doing amazing things in the Irish scene, cultural stuff, and all sorts of other crack and carry on. So do come over and give us a listen, or come and follow me on James underscore O'Hagan. Is that my thing? Who knows? Find me and follow me if you want. <laughs> I, I second that emotion. You couldn't, you could do so much worse than following Jason Aiken. Have a great one. Just about time for me to finish up and head off. But before I do, I do have a few recommendations for you. The first two you've probably heard about. First of all, if you have not engaged with the Great Pottery Throwdown, what are you doing with your life? It is the perfect, wholesome, pure, comforting, lovely January viewing. Only two episodes have aired so far and you can catch up with them on all, on, it's not all four anymore, is it? 
channel4.com, whatever, the Channel 4 streaming service. You could catch up on them and get in. There's many weeks of comforting viewing ahead of us. Get on board. It's so lovely. Then I want to recommend Big Boys, which I know I've mentioned before, but the new series has come out and it is just as good, if not better, than the first series. It, it is a perfect television show. Like, I just don't know that there are many that are better. It is full of heart, but it is laugh out loud funny. It is only short half an hour there's only six episodes in each series so it's not like a huge undertaking I actually wish there was more the cast are brilliant the writing is brilliant it takes place mostly in 2014 which is like a brilliant time to go back to because it's you still remember it and um, but it's got a little bit of nostalgia I I love it so so much and I am begging you to give yourself the treat of big boys at this season please please do it for yourself it's all on channel4.com um, and I love it with my whole heart I, I would talk about it forever um, I just beg you beg you beg you beg you to give it a go other than that as I mentioned Poor Things is absolutely fantastic next week I'll be able to tell you about All of Us Strangers because I am going to a screening of that this weekend and I'm so excited to go and cry for about two and a half hours um, and that is that is where we stand currently I hope my friends that you have a good week but if you can't have a good week that's okay it's not so easy at the moment just keep going we will be back again next week in the meantime thank you so much to all of my contributors thank you so much to Acast for having me on the network and I will talk to you then Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.